This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to UC Santa Barbara's Innovator Story Series. I'm John Greathouse, and you can follow me on Twitter, at John Greathouse. A sponsor tonight is Pay Junction. Uh, Pay Junction is one of the inaugural sponsors of this series. I think this is their fourth year. Highly appreciate uh, their sponsorship because without their sponsorship, we wouldn't be able to broadcast this um, all over the internet and all over the world. So we thank them. They were founded in 2000 by three UC Santa Barbara gauchos. Uh, and ever since then, they've been disrupting the payment processing industry by offering transparency and award-winning service. They have an all-in-one payment platform that was recently voted by Glassdoor as one of the best places to work. So it's great technology and great people. Uh, if you're looking for a job, uh, they are hiring. They are growing like gangbusters. So check out Pay Junction. And in fact, if you want to learn a little bit more about Pay Junction, at the end of my interview today with Emma, you can uh, see a spokesperson from Pay Junction tell you a little bit more. So check that out. Speaking of Emma, I am, I am uh, interviewing tonight Emma Cohen, co-founder and CEO of Final Straw. In 2015, Emma and several of her friends launched Save the Mermaid, which was a nonprofit organization whose goal was to educate young and old people about the issue of pollution in our oceans and what we can do to mitigate that issue. I highly recommend the TEDx talk that Emma gave um, on, that, on that issue, on, on that subject, and it was titled How to Save a Mermaid. If you really want to see how to, if you just want to study how to give a great talk and how to give a compelling and make a compelling argument, and keep people's attention over you know, 15, 18 minute period, watch How to Save a Mermaid, it's a great talk. So given her proclivity to save the ocean, it's not surprising that Emma, um, that Emma ended up co-founding Final Straw. It's the world's first collapsible, reusable straw, and I love the tagline of the company, it's hashtag suck responsibly. Before she started, I got one person to laugh. Before, <laughs> Before, before she started Final Straw, Emma spent four years uh, in the pollution prevention department at Los Alamos Labs, and her job there was actually to see how the lab could reduce the waste that it was creating. She then earned her master's degree in environmental management and sustainability at Harvard, but most importantly, she earned her undergraduate degree at a small school called UC Santa Barbara that happens to be right next to the ocean. She calls Santa Barbara her home, and as we're going to learn in our, during our discussion, her spirit animal is a cuttlefish. We're going to find out why. Let's welcome Emma to our stage. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I know everybody's wondering. Let's start with the most important question. So why is your spirit animal a cuttlefish? <laughs> Definitely most important things first. Um, I was diving in Komodo Islands um, and encountered a cuttlefish, and it was the most majestic, crazy-looking animal I'd ever seen. Um, they can shapeshift, and they can color change, and we just had this moment, and it really stuck with me forever. But you're not a shapeshifter. Or I'm not. You? Well, I can be, actually. I look very <laughs> presentable right now, not, not so much 10 minutes I ago. think entrepreneurs have to be, right? We yeah. have to be super flexible. We speak to so many different constituencies and audiences and stakeholders and yeah, so. And you wear a lot of hats. When you start yes. a company, you yes. become an expert in marketing, customer service, um, digital advertising, and operations. So you really do kind of have to know how to do every aspect of the business marginally well, and then you hire right. people right. who can do right. better. Right. 
You have to know. You have to know. You have to be able to do it well enough to know that you yeah. need somebody else that can exactly. do it more professionally, and uh, you have to have the self awareness. As I noted in your intro, so you went to UCSB. Yeah. Um, it's almost Go Halloween. I'm, it's, I'm dating this show, but you know Halloween's coming up. So you did see a few red solo cups while you were here. How did that experience with uh, Red Solo Cups and just your broader experience right here by the ocean at UC Santa Barbara, how did that shape your, your journey in, in, in finally getting to the final straw? Yeah, so I, I went to UCSB and started in 2004 and I was a biopsych major and loved it. It was super cool. Um, but it, it, I was trying to figure out how that would really play into my future plans. Um, so as I'm kind of going down that path, um, I was living on DP, participated in Flotopia, <laughs> and um, you know, just afterwards, like even in my drunken stupor, I was like, "This is crazy! Like this is so much trash um, right on the beach, and you know, we're all like conscious people trying to make a difference in the yep. world. That's why we're here. We're trying to learn and and do something. And then you know, it just didn't fit. It was like." I'm trying to do something in the world, but then like here I am like using and consuming without any awareness and it just kind of clicked. And then all of a sudden I was obsessed with single use plastics and, um, you know, such a Debbie Downer at parties because I was like, (laughs) you write your name on that cup. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, it's just grown from there and you just find what you love and what, you know, gets you excited because when you start a company, it's long days, long nights and no weekends. And so you better like hope that you love what you're doing. Yeah, you better be stoked. And it's, yeah, you better it be stoked. It helps to have a mission, um, and it helps to make meaning. I tell my students that all the time. If you're starting a business, what meaning are you creating? And if you're, yeah. if at the end of the day it's making money, then good luck because yeah. I don't, I don't think it'll sustain you. It it's, won't. it's interesting. Google Floatopia for those who are watching this all over the world. Um, I, I cycle and I cycle on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. right when all the students are asleep. And I, we actually came through Santa, uh, we came through DP, uh, Isla Vista, and after Flotopia, and yeah. we had that same reaction. So I surf at a curf- uh, campus point, mm-hmm. um, and that actually wasn't too messed up, but, but the, the, the beach right there, Sands yeah. and DP, was, it was trashed, totally literally. Trashed. And we kind of had that same thought. We're like, really? Okay, you, live, yeah. you, you go to school by the ocean, and, and this is how you, you, know, you end up treating it. So I can see how you, how you reacted, because yeah. I literally saw that same, that same scene. So you, you had four years at Los Alamos, uh, as I mentioned in your introduction, and you were, you know, your goal there was to reduce waste um, at that organization. I'd love to hear takeaways you had from that sort of big company experience, mm-hmm. right? And, and I don't, you know, we're entrepreneurs for the most part in this room, but there's a lot to be said for your first job out of school being at a bigger company. You yeah. can learn a lot of things, even if it's things that you learn that you don't want to do. What did you take away from that experience that you find that has helped you um, with Final Straw? Well, first of all, they paid for my master's degree, so that, that was really exciting, um, <laughs> not having debt on that. Um, but it was, So I was working for the federal government, and what I realized is I hate that. Um, I hate bureaucracy. I hate doing things because people say that's how it's supposed to be done. Right. Um, I like reasons, I like facts, and I like options. And so when someone's like, well, we need to get these signatures, and they need to go in this order, I'm just like... That doesn't make sense to me. Um, So, you know, I think just like with dating, you have to like date a lot of people you don't like to find out what you like. Um, It's the same with jobs. You have to go in, find out what you don't like. And that really informs like, okay, this is what I really like. And then after that, it was like, okay, I want to work on a boat. And so I just like went down to the marina and, and found the captain of the truth. And I was like, 
I can cook. And so no, I didn't know this yeah, in your past. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's like you at, right now where we live in this amazing time where you can kind of create whatever job you want, even if it doesn't exist. Like you can create it. And so through the experience of like really kind of diving into what I didn't like, I was able to focus on what I wanted and and what I wanted was to to be able to kind of make my own schedule, travel wherever I want, and make a company with a purpose. Right, right. So talk to me about how uh, graduate school fit into this. So you, you did your time at the big company, mm-hmm. in this case the government. Um, and then let's talk about University of New Mexico and Harvard. How did those two things come about and how did those... Why did you make the decision to pursue that, and then how those helped you, or not? Yeah, so um, after college, I was just, like, hanging out in Santa Barbara, and it's so amazing, and I wasn't doing anything productive. I was just, like, you know, taking odd jobs to, like, make money so I could just paddleboard and hang out. Um, And I went to Thailand, and I was traveling around for three months, and I read this quote um, by Noam Chomsky, and it said, with increased privilege comes increased responsibility. And it just, like, hit me so hard that I'm so privileged and like, what am I doing to give back? So after that trip, I came home, I quit my job, moved back to New Mexico where I'm from um, and started applying to schools. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I needed to do something to make a difference. Um, So I applied to University of New Mexico to do their JD MBA. And I was like, I'm gonna do environmental law. I'm gonna like change all these policies and make it so that like, I just, I really wanna make junk mail illegal. That's like one of my big goals. (laughs) I hate junk mail, it's such a waste of paper. But so I was like, I'm going to make junk mail illegal by doing environmental law. I was also working at the lab. So what I learned at the lab is that it's much easier to create change from within versus trying to create legislation and policy to enforce change on um, other companies. Because let's face it, all the companies that are the world right now, they have so much money and they're going to fight it super hard. So you look at the single use bag legislation where it's like, like the American Chemical comes out, Chemical Council comes out, they send lawyers in and they're like, you know, their lawyers are fighting all of this legislation. So um, I, this is kind of a roundabout story, but that's where I really realized that I can change things from within. And, and then I realized the UNM program wasn't a fit. And one of my mentors suggested the Harvard program. And it was amazing because it was remote. It was very specific into what I wanted to do, which is you know, sustainability and environmental management. And it just, I got in. So that was exciting. So have you, do you feel like you've drawn upon that? Because students come to me, you know, they come to all professors, like, should I get a graduate degree? Mm. What do you think? What are your thoughts on just as a student? Yeah, that's a tough question. Because I think that, you know, like I learned a lot in it. Am I using what I learned necessarily on a day-to-day basis now in my profession? No, but I learned it was one of those things too, where I'm like dipping my toe in on all of these different areas. I was really interested in green building. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll like, you know, get lead certified and start going down that route. And then I was like, eh. and then, and then my thesis project I did on a uh, reusable to go container. And so that's how I, I was like, Oh, products like this is where we can make things that give people alternatives. And, and then, you know, ended up with this little baby. So, you know, the answer is, I think it depends. Um, you can, a lot of times you can take a certificate class at, at a graduate program, and that way you can see, like, is this something I really want to invest in financially? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always recommend that. 
But at the end of the day, like, you know, some of the most amazing CEOs and, and world leaders don't necessarily have a graduate degree. So right. I don't think it's uh, necessary, but I think it, it also, it always helps steer yep. you in one direction or another. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I agree with you. I phrase it like you don't need it to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, more education, more contacts, more networks aren't going to hurt you, but yes. you don't need it. So I'm going to go to a student question after this one. Um, but let's talk a little bit about 2015, Save the Mermaids. I know you do that with some of your friends. Um, you, you, did, you had some guerrilla marketing aspects to it, which I think yeah. are really cool. So you guys would go to city council meetings dressed up as mermaids and sort of shame them, I guess, a bit. Yeah. So what were some of the things that came out of that? Was it, I mean, obviously awareness was a mm-hmm. big goal, but did you see some concrete change? Did, did people take you seriously and, and make things happen, or, or was it or not? Like, how, yeah. did, that, how did that play out? Well, I think it started off that no, no one took us seriously. They're like, who are these girls dressed up like mermaids doing these ridiculous stunts? But then we were the ones getting coverage. Yeah. So it was like, yes, on one hand, like we weren't the pe- people who'd been in the game for like a decade working on it, but we were doing something that worked. Yeah. And, and it really, you know, and we banned single-use plastic bags in Santa Barbara, not because of what we did, but because of the group effort and everyone that was involved. But I think the big lesson from doing that was that um, I can portray a message in any way I want. And the way I do portray messages is in terms of which, how I want to hear it. So I don't want this granola, boring, kind of like, you know, crunchy stuff. I want it to be sexy and, and sparkly and exciting and fun and like engaging. And there better be some puns. So like, <laughs> that's like, you know, if you look at our, our um, Instagram or you know, website, that's how we message. We message in a way that, that has a really clear, distinct voice. We're a little sassy, but we want to have a little fun doing it. So I love that you use that word voice because authentic voice is hugely important, especially when you're doing something a little edgy, maybe a little unconventional. Yeah. Right? One thing about getting attention, but then what are you going to do once you get that attention? And I think have a consistent, friendly, but could, you know, maybe it can be a little tongue-in-cheek voice is really important. Yeah, totally. I admire what you guys did there. And, and again, think about what you can do differently. Don't do what everyone else is doing because everyone else is doing it. What can you do differently to stand out and make a difference and be heard? Totally. So, 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 just okay. real quick, some of the yeah. best advice I ever got was don't put a message out there that you think everyone wants to hear. Um, hmm. Think of really specific people either in your life or create that customer and, and give them a name. Like, what do they do for a living? Like, you know, what, what's their favorite nail polish color? Like, really get yeah. specific about that person and then talk to them. Um, and, and that way, you're not diluting your message. Because at the end of the day, if you, if you try and please everyone, you're going to be boring. Speak to someone, and, and it might be yourself. Like, I am my target customer, which is great. But, you know, now I'm trying to expand and also speak to, like, men. And so wh- who am I creating that I'm speaking to directly? Right. Yeah, who's important? Because if you don't know who you're speaking to, how are you yeah. going to craft your message appropriately? Exactly. You might get lucky, but you probably won't. Yeah. We'll take the first student's question. Hi. Um, so my question is that there's a lot of companies and products that are coming out now because of emerging environmental trends. Mm-hmm. So how do you and, the, and your company, Final Straw, plan on becoming successful or maintaining your success with all this competition? Yeah, so that's a great question. Thank you. Um, you know, I think one of the most important things when you've got a company is you're aware of what's going on around you, but you're not just like 
moving forward to kind of like be in front of other people. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that I'm watching everything they're doing and I'm letting them go ahead so that I can learn from their mistakes. So a great example right now is uh, TerraCycle is doing a program called Loop. Um, they're working with the largest brands out there to do a circular economy um, and, and refillable containers system. Um, the beauty of being a small startup is you're really connected to your customers. When you, when you start dealing on such a large scale, you lose that connection. So it's like, I'm going to watch everything they do so that when I'm ready to start, you know, my subscription service company, um, I've learned from all of their mistakes. Um, this is a very emerging field and there's a lot of people in there. But there's no one right now making items to replace single-use plastic, very specifically around foodware. So, you know, and oh, I showed you guys the straw. Um, oh, no. This is final straw. It's a reusable collapsible straw that fits on your keychain, comes with a telescoping brush inside, and fits in this sleek little kind of airpods like case. Um, so what we're doing is we're... We're making items that are easy to carry, easy to clean, convenient, and fun to use, and well-designed. So there, right now, there isn't anyone else out there doing that, but I guarantee that it'll be happening really quickly. And that's great. What we Competition is really good because it inspires me to get better and, and, and push myself. So I, I welcome more companies in this space because we need it. So I was... I was speaking to a group of students in August from um, Brazil, mm -hmm. and I mentioned Emma, because I was talking about the greater Santa Barbara ecosystem and some of the companies here in town, I'm bragging about Emma, and this girl in the front row raises her hand, and these are, these are high school kids, and oh, God, I have a question, fantastic, because they're shy and everything, and she says, I have one of those, and I go, oh, you have one of what? She goes, I have one of those straws, and so I assume she meant like a generic, like some other straw. And I said, oh, cool. Do you have it with you? Let's show the class. She pulls it out. It's one of your straws. Yes. And then the, um, another girl next to her had one, too. That's and awesome. I'm like, they live in Brazil. Like, this, yeah. is, this is very cool. So, and, and again, the demo was probably 17 or 18. So mm -hmm. you're, you're, reaching, you're reaching people. It's a global movement. We've sold straws in over 100 countries. And it's, it's crazy to think that you know, just a year and a half ago, this was an idea. Right. And, and I had no business experience, um, no clue what I was doing, and just went on Kickstarter and kind of was like, let's see what happens. And it worked out. So we're going to talk about that yeah. in a second, but I just want to ask you one more question about um, Save the Mermaids. Yeah. So I know that you, you, you the group used uh, the platform to teach elementary age mm -hmm. students, and you had videos and things. Did you? I'm always curious about um, how entrepreneurs can leverage government funding. Did you get government grants, or was there some sort of an educational grant program that you were able to tap into? So we primarily funded through um, March. Okay. And and we had super cool kind of like swaggy styley merch that that you know I still see around town. Oh really? Yeah. So that was kind of our big thing. Um, we didn't have someone on the team that really knew how to operate an NGO. It's, Got it. You know, it takes a lot of work, and I yeah. think we were all in college and like excited about you know other things, and so. We're like, well, what's an easy way to make money? Let's sell things. And so um, I think 
you know, that is a very viable way to fund a nonprofit. We didn't really go that route. Okay, just curious, because I know in the education world, there is money, but it takes yeah. time, and you got to write grants and all that yeah. good stuff. So let's talk about Final Straw. So you co-founded that company with Miles Pepper mm -hmm. uh, in 2017. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, how you guys came together, and then the fact that he's moved on. Sort of what was the yeah. evolution, because that's very common in yeah. relationships in general, but also in startup relationships. That you meet somebody, you start a business, and then for whatever reason, things, you know, one person carries on, the yeah. other doesn't. Totally. So Miles and I met in, we actually met at Burning Man in 2017, and <laughs> I was dressed like a nun, and that's just like always his first image of me. Um, but we, we started chatting. I've kind of been known as the straw lady in my group of friends because of the TEDx talk, and my like incessant nagging anytime <laughs> someone pulls out single-use plastic. Um, and so he basically had a very rough concept for the final straw. And so we started talking and I was like, well, I'm ready to quit my job. I'm ready for something new. Let's try it. What's the worst that could happen? So I quit my job at the lab and um, we started like really kind of focusing in on it in January of 2018. Um, we launched the Kickstarter in April of 2018, so four months later. And then, you know, it, it just, we, because it, it always felt like an arranged marriage between us mm. because we, we barely knew each other. And then we're like, yeah, let's do this together. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, we, we raised a ton of money and, and like, like the heat was on yeah. and it was kind of like, okay, like, are you ready to go to battle with me? And, you know, Miles is younger. I'm, I'm 33. He's 23. And, you know, I got my yayas out in my 20s. I traveled <laughs> all over the world. Like, I, I did it all. And so, you know, I'm like, let's, like, bear down and work, you know, the 16-hour days, seven days a week on this and make this a household name. And he's like, well, I kind of want to, like, move into a van and, like, travel. And I'm like, oh, my God, hashtag van life. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, which is fine, and that's totally okay, and it's something that I got to do in my 20s, and so um, ultimately, I just was like, look, do you want to live in a van and, like, travel around, or do you want to run this, you know, multi-million dollar company with me? Right, right. And that's where we just kind of had different values, and, and you know, we're still friends, and we talk, and, um, you know, it just it didn't pan out the way we thought it would. But it sounds like you guys were honest with each other. You communicated yeah. with each other. Because I'll tell you, maybe this will shock you, it doesn't usually end with people being friends. Well, it, it usually it, ends with lawyers getting involved in so all kinds of nonsense. It, it has a peaceful ending, but like it was not peaceful for months. Mm. Um, there was about six months this year where I didn't know what the fate of the company was. Right. Um, he held a lot of cards in his hand, and there was a lot of lawyers involved. And he ended up filing for disillusion of the company, which mm. meant that if he won that, um, we would basically like cut the baby in half. And you know, right. I'm like, save the baby. The baby usually dies when that happens. Yeah, and and you know, I, like I love the baby more than anything, right. um, besides my dog. And so, ultimately, you know, lawyers are getting involved, and we're about to go to court, and like things are getting super crazy and heated. And I just had this like vision basically that I needed to go to his house in LA mm. and he hadn't talked to me for months. The lawyers had told him not to talk to me because um, I'm very convincing. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so I just drove down there and showed up at his door and was like, hi, like 
let's talk this out. And it worked and we settled seven days later. And so it was just kind of like a true testament to being vulnerable and, and just, you know, trying to connect with someone on a human to human level. And because I think at the end of the day, like we are all good. We all want the same things for each other. Right. And, you know, I always wanted to give him what he wanted and what I thought he deserved because we started the company together. Wow. So I did not know that part of your story. That's a, <laughs> yeah. That is a, a fantastic outcome. Yeah. And it it, the lawyers will always tell you, don't talk to the other side. I can handle it, blah, blah, blah. So I love the fact that you said, you know what? Forget it. I know Miles. Yeah. I'm going to drive down there and make this My happen. lawyer's like, please don't. And I'm like, got to go, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bad cell coverage. Quit. Yeah, exactly. We're in a tunnel. So why? So let's go back to the um, pre-lawsuits. So you decided Kickstarter. Why? Why did you go that route? What was the What was the impetus for that? Um, and as opposed to conventional capital or raising money. Yeah. So you know, everyone. When we when I'm telling people about this idea, and you know, one thing to know when you're starting a business is you're going to get so much bad advice. And there's so <laughs> many people out there that are just like they're so obsessed with the process and the the cookie cutter way of how business used to be. It's not like that anymore. We can use social media to validate ideas. We can use crowdfunding to raise money. You don't have to go these kind of traditional ways that, yep. that used to be how you kind of had to do it. Um, so, you know, we just had people like, well, you need to do your market validation tests. And like, I'm like, why? Why don't we just do a Kickstarter? And if it's cool and people like it, they'll buy it. And then that's our market validation. So that was the reason. And I just want to make a cool video. So, um, cause I, I love, you know, comedy and mermaids and, and so we made a cool video and went on Kickstarter and, and raised almost $2 million. Yeah. See, I mean, you're being a little modest, but <laughs> 1, 1.8 million. I mean, if you guys Google like the average Kickstarter, it's like 32 bucks. I mean, it's most <laughs> of them fail. The large majority of them fail. So you guys crushed it. Um, really are well. you comfortable? I don't know if you're comfortable talking about what your sales are yeah. now. Your sales are pretty impressive they're really good so in 2018 we did five million and we're looking at close to doubling that this year so so folks i'm telling you i've sit in board meetings year after year after year with software companies that would love to get to 10 million dollars in four or five years and you've done it in less than two yeah i mean i think that you know the benefit of of doing that is you know you get the world's attention but it's like the day the kickstarter closed and everyone's like are you gonna party and i'm like freaking out, having a full-on anxiety attack that now I have to deliver 100,000 straws in six months where I just like basically copied and pasted someone else's timeline onto <laughs> ours and like changed a couple things. It wasn't plagiarism, I promise. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it, go, it went really quickly from excitement to just right, total right. terror. Yeah, and paralyzing anxiety. Yep. So I do want to get to, I'm going to let several students ask questions in a row, but before we get to them, so you mentioned the video. Do you think that was the single uh, most important factor in your success? I love that video, by yeah. the way. If you just want to go back and l- watch their Kickstarter video. Oh, no, you have it on your site now. So I mean, yeah. yeah. So you can find it pretty easily. It's a great video. Thanks. Um, I, I think that the number one indicator of success on any business is timing. Um, it's also true of relationships. Sure. Um, we happened to launch as the world had basically chosen the plastic straw as you know, the symbol of waste and the plastic pollution crisis. So in January of 2018, Seattle banned straws, um, which created this kind of cascade of other events where you had, you know, more legislation sweeping the, the country and the world, 
but then also corporate buy-in, unlike anything we've really ever seen. So you had Disney, Alaska Airlines, Marriott, Ikea banning plastic straws voluntarily because they're listening to the consumer. This is what the consumer wants. And then, you know, in the midst of all that, we're like, oh, we have a solution. Because prior to this, the only reusable straws out there were glass, bamboo, and metal. And like, try taking that thing with you, it's, it's hazard. Right, right. Okay, so I love the self-awareness. To make note of all these things, your <laughs> self-awareness is fantastic because a lot of entrepreneurs become so self-absorbed. They're like, well, of course it was my genius. And, you know, it's like, well, it was, timing is a big part of, of, of life. Now, the reality is you were ready and you yeah. struck and you have a great product and you did a lot of things right, but, you know, timing never and we worked our asses off. Yeah, it was, you know, right. two people working you. for, yeah, yeah. you know, three and a half months exclusively building pre-campaign strategy, you know, creating a social media following, getting an email list together, um, you know, working on the, the prototype design. So, yes, timing, timing is so crucial, but you also timing need helps, to be ready. But it does, it's, not, it's not the whole story. Yeah. Let's go to another student's question. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So my question is concerning sort of the whole plastic straws movement and one, um, or the anti-plastic straws mm -hmm. movement. And one of the main criticisms of that movement is that it allows consumers to feel like they're really helping the problem when they, you know, buy your product or yeah. um, use compostable straws or things like that when in reality the issue of plastic waste in the oceans is a huge, much broader problem that goes far beyond plastic straws. Yeah. So my question for you is do you think that focusing on such a narrow solution to the bigger, broader piece of the puzzle um, is a good business strategy um, or would you like to expand your business into other sort of venues to reduce plastic waste in the yeah. oceans as a whole? That's awesome. That's such a good question. And it brings up such a valid point, which is that if we took away every single single-use plastic straw in the world, we would still have a really big problem. Um, so, you know, this isn't solving anything. But as my grandma likes to say, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So, you know, I think what's what's important about what we're doing is we're giving people a really actionable way to take the first step. And just like, you know, my whole obsession started with plastic, it started really small. I started with plastic bags and then I was like, oh, whoa, look at cups. And then like, you know, it started expanding. And that's what we see with our customers. They start somewhere and then they see, oh, this is actually pretty easy and fun and makes me feel good. I'm getting that positive reinforcement. Um, you know, I'm getting the likes on Instagram when I post the photos and whatever it takes to reinforce these behaviors, you know, social validation is, is really, really helpful. Um, and then, you know, what we see is that they start traveling down the line. Um, you bring up some really good points around the dangers around this. Um, you know, we also see customers post so many photos of our straw in a plastic cup and it's mm. like, okay, like good job, you know, golf there. clap for like taking the first step, but also like, let's be real. That's, this isn't solving the problem. Um, and then you've got issues with like, you know, biodegradable plastics and paper. And it's like, 
those aren't viable alternatives. Paper, you know, requires a ton of energy and water and materials to produce. So, you know, they, they did a life cycle assessment recently and, and, you know, the environmental impact of one paper bag, or well, I'll say it around, the environmental impact of one single use plastic bag um, is, is three times less than one paper bag. Mm. So you need to reuse a paper bag three times in order to equal the environmental impact of one single use plastic bag. Similarly, we've got an issue around biodegradables because now it's like, you know, for, for 10 years I've been asking for no straw in my drink. And now when I do it, they're like, it's okay, it's biodegradable. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, do you have a compost? Do you have an industrial composter? Like, and they're just like, whoa lady, like chill out. Um, but so, you know, it's like, we, we don't have the infrastructure yet to support, um, biodegradables and therefore, um, you know, there needs to be so much education around that, which is why if you go on our Instagram, we talk about all this stuff and, you know, every single Instagram post, it's not just like otters holding, you know, hands, it's, it's disseminating this information in bite-sized chunks where we really try, are trying to educate people but we have to start somewhere. So yes, we are broadening the spectrum. I'm working on a fork, that's the next product. And then also looking at integrating reusables into like food delivery systems and really just anywhere you see waste, I'm kind of plotting away, but um, it's also really hard to develop products and so we're, we're just kind of taking it one step at a time. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think the spirit of your question was, was good um, but there are haters out there yeah in every business you will get them if you're successful they will come out of the woodwork because there's just a fair number of negative folk right they they're not going to build anything themselves but they'll be the first ones to criticize yeah. and so i know you've gotten some of the, every business gets it like well you you're not solving any problems it's like really so not doing anything's better right yeah so one thing you said to me that has stuck with me and my my wife and i have talked about this and we are like you know getting hyper about this one use plastic yeah. which i wasn't before so when I first heard the straw ban years ago, I was that cynical person in my car going, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Like, because I was kind of thinking, you know, how is that going to solve anything? And what you, the term you, you shared with me was that, um, that straws are a gateway plastic. And that simply by starting to think about, okay, you know, okay, is a straw going to, you know, one straw going to make a difference? No, but the gazillion, I think you say in your video, it's like a bus, there's like three buses or 12, 117 buses or whatever of straws. Yeah, it's 2.5 times around the earth. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of straws. Yeah. But just getting people sort of, that's almost like the first step, like just yeah. thinking about not getting a straw, not getting a plastic cup, taking your reusable cup to Starbucks or wherever you get your coffee. Exactly. So I do think, I didn't see the value in, in it, before we spoke on the phone, um, but after we did, I said, and then I wrote that article yeah. in Forbes, and I was like, I think this is this is an important message to get out there, and I think obviously you're making an impact. So yeah, and the straw is just like the easiest one to choose. Like, there's so many items out there. Like, like let's talk about coffee cups. Those are like the right. worst. They're not recyclable. Um, you know, they have plastic in them and paper. But like, let's start with something really easy, and and then get people kind of acclimated. I mean, we've completely. We're going back to the milkman model where it's like people need to bring things on their own. It's a little less convenient, but we can start to create these habits and then which turns into discipline. So 
Start with something easy. Yeah. And now you see in grocery stores, you can bring your bulk container and mm -hmm. things that, you know, four or five years ago, people said, nobody's going to do that. Well, yeah. it, it's like people said, nobody's ever going to fill up their gas back when we had full service gas in the 1960s or whatever. It takes time. And totally. over time, you have small steps make a difference. I mean, we were on Shark Tank and the sharks were like, oh, you're never going to be able to get people to carry a $25 straw with them. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, here we are, sold over 350,000 of them. Right. Geniuses. <laughs> We've talked about Shark Tank. I've written, I've written about Shark Tank. Um, so let's talk about that. So what was that experience like? Any, any demystifying you want to, because you were there behind the scenes. Yeah. I've talked to a number of people that have, that have been on that show. Um, and then maybe more helpful to folks watching this is, what would you do differently? Would you do it again? Yeah. So um, first off, it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> I'd never pitched ever. So my first pitch was, you know, in front of Mark Cuban, which was just so gnarly. Um, but one week into our Kickstarter, they reached out to us. They're looking for kind of up and coming brands that, that don't really know their value yet so that the sharks can kind of swoop them up. Um, so, you know, when Shark Tank calls you and they want you to go on the show, you're just like, yeah, like I'll clear my schedule. Um, so we went on and it was very helpful in that, you know, they were like, send us your balance sheets. And I'm like over here Googling, like, what's a balance sheet? And <laughs> like, yeah, it was that bad. Um, and, and so I got a, you know, business school on crack training for the next month, trying to get everything figured out, you know, watching the show, figuring out all the questions so that I had an answer to every single question. Cause the mm. last thing I wanted was to make a fool of myself on national TV. Um, so would I do it again? Yes. Would I do it differently? Absolutely. Um, we went on too soon. We went on with a prototype design. Mm. And so when we hand it to the, if you guys have ever seen a prototype, they look like, um, you know, it's a 3d printed thing. We were like, you know, had like orthodontist rubber bands on there. <laughs> like, you know, I like spray painted the cases. Um, so, you know, very MacGyver together and, um, if I were to do it differently, I just would have waited. I would have said, look, this is a great opportunity, but let's wait till we're ready. Mm -hmm. And would have gone on with this, which is just a million times more impressive because Lori picks up her straw and she goes, mine's sticky. And I'm like, oh God, like the spray paint didn't dry last night. Um, yeah, I was, just, I, was uh, I thought they were going to like put that on TV and luckily they cut it, but whew, it was intense. But you know, at the end of the day, they want to see product that, that has customer reviews and people have touched and felt, right. and we just weren't there. We were six weeks old. Did you see Lyft? Did you get orders from by the time it aired? Absolutely. So, you know, that's the other thing is like, I went on with zero expectations. I was like, let's see, I'm setting the valuation pretty high yep. um, because I know the value of our company, but, um, you know, they might not bite at that valuation. Um, and if you ever watch the episode, we did kind of this whole theatrical presentation where I had 5,800 straws drop from the ceiling onto the sharks to signify the amount of straws that are used every second. So I, I used it as a PR opportunity and then, yeah, it, it did really well. But this is where we really saw the haters because you, <laughs> you like have such a, a kind of core viewing group, middle America, like I call her Mary Jo in Mississippi. And like, she's like, why I need a straw, use your lips. And I'm like, oh. hey, you know, w whatever you're doing to reduce waste, great. I, I commend those efforts. Like, right. I don't want anyone using this straw that doesn't want a straw. Um, ultimately, that is the most sustainable thing to do. But if you, you know, really want a straw, 
suck responsibly. <laughs> so I have a, a former student that was on the show, got offers, didn't take them, um, but he had a consumer product as well, and he crushed it because those shows have a long life. I mean, they oh, yeah. show those reruns shows are the best. At like middle of the night, I and mean, they're showing it all the time. So it's free, relatively free PR. You had to put yeah. time and effort and energy into it. And so the more theatrical, the more sort of impactful you mm -hmm. make your performance, because it is a performance, yeah. that the better that long tail will pay off for you. So if you have a consumer product that you can sell directly online, I say yeah. go go on Shark Tank. Otherwise, think twice. Let's get a couple of students' questions. You talked about the sort of tsunami of bad advice you got. Um, I'm curious in terms of uh, criticism, I'm sure there was some of that too. What was the most valuable critique your project got? Hmm. I think that the most, the critique, like to the actual Kickstarter or to, to the kind of company in general? Um, maybe the company in general. Yeah, so... You know, I am super ADD, and so I've always got, like, a million ideas, and I'm going in a ton of directions. I think, you know, I, I would say that every month I probably have the best advice I've gotten th that month. But this month, it's focus in on what I'm good at and, and stay there. And don't try and do, you know, expand into other areas because that's what everyone else is doing. Like, keep the blinders on and just sprint. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, you know, when you, when you start talking to investors is really when you start getting bad advice <laughs> because they want to see, you know, how are you like quadrupling growth? Like, how are you like ensuring a lifetime value of a customer? And like, this doesn't have a lifetime value of a customer. We sell one straw. It has a lifetime guarantee and that's it. So we're not trying to get reoccurring revenue by getting them to buy like accessories and all this other stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, we are creating additional products that we hope people find helpful. But, you know, a lot of investors want to see, um, you know, like a deodorant company or something where people are buying more and more. Um, so I think that, you know, on that note, it's like you really have to define your values and, and stick to them. And don't let kind of like money, greed, sparkly things like distract you because there's this this you'll you'll get like a shot and you'll feel like you're on your path and then it just you just have to stay there thank you yeah so you, you mentioned the fork as is your most likely next product are you going to pursue crowdfunding so i wrote about a company called peak design mm. and that article did yeah. really well they had a 14 million dollar indiegogo i think all told they've raised over 30 million that's the way they fund their product yep. they don't go to venture capitalists they don't go to the banks so they're on product eight or nine and did yeah. 14 million. Are you going to do that with the forks or, or what are you thinking? So this is honestly like a constant battle in my mind. Um, the, the big downside and what happened to us with crowdfunding was that we got knocked off. That was my next, next question. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go into it because like, oh my gosh, it was, it was horrible. It was the worst experience I've ever had. Um, you know, within two weeks of launching, we're seeing, you know, our exact ads, photos and videos of me, you know, advertising the knockoff. And so the beauty of crowdfunding is, you know, you can raise all this money to start your company. The, the downside is that there's people out there specifically watching Kickstarter campaigns to see what the new hot item is. And if it's really easy to manufacture, which ours is, it's just a straw, um, then they're going to knock you off. And they have no shame. Like, they bought all the domains, like, final straw with two Ws. Like, you know, copy our exact website photos of me, my dog on there. Like, it just, 
you know, and then and then which creates so much customer confusion because right. then our community is like, wait, you're selling the straw at half price on all of these other sites, and we're like, that's not us, and they're like, well, it says final straw on it. We're like, we know. <laughs> um, so I have just like super bad PTSD from that. And um, it's what is making me hesitant about doing crowdfunding again. Um, they will find out about Fork, you know, eventually. But do I want to, like, put it up on a platform and say, like, hey, world, this is what's next? Um, I'm not sure. So I, I'm still debating with this idea. Um, you know, it would be great to be able to raise some money and, like, be able to fund everything. But at this point, we are a profitable company. And, you know, I have financing and, and some loans. So it's like I can also just make it work by, you know, tapping into our email list, social media platform and, and kind of going a little more underground. So what let's say you do the fork or, or um, you know, through crowdfunding or not. What advice would you have for folks that, you know, they don't they, they want to do their first product. They don't have a choice. Like they mm -hmm. have to go to the crowdfunding. You have choices now with, with people loaning yeah. you money and things. What would you do differently? We talked a little bit offline about some of the things to come. You're never going to defeat the pirates totally. That's their yeah. industry and they're in different countries and don't <clears throat> obey our laws. And it's you're never going to shut them down. But what would you do to maybe mitigate their success? Well, I have this theory that that someone emailed us pretending to be media and got a copy of our prototype because we were sending them out to like media. Um, so maybe be more careful on that front. Right. Um, also just be prepared um, to a certain degree. We you know, didn't have any of our photos copyrighted. We hadn't done our trademarks ahead of time. Um, we did apply for a, pa a provisional patent, but if you know anything about IP, patents are super expensive. So what you can kind of do is get a provisional patent which is a foot in the door and basically a place in line where it it says like this is my idea um and then down the line when you have the funding because it's like 10 grand to do a utility patent then you can get it but then it still takes like nine months to get that patent and then right. if you you're to, that's quick if if you okay well so then you have to do track one to get it to go through right. nine months um then you have to enforce that patent a U.S. patent only works in the U.S. So we have, you know, a global patent portfolio. So I think that at the end of the day, I wouldn't really do anything differently besides probably copyright our photos. Um, at the end of the day, you just kind of have to say, whatever, this is, you know, I, I'm taking this risk and this jump because this is something I believe in and I will deal with that when it comes. Every single successful Kickstarter with a you know somewhat simple product gets knocked off. It's right. just how it is. Um, so you know, set aside budget, do some research into IP. If you ever want to talk about it, call me because I love talking about IP. Um, you know, and, and then in, in terms of kind of making this a more general statement, what I would avoid when going into doing a Kickstarter campaign. Don't let perfection bog you down. Um, don't wait till things are perfect because they never will be. And you'll just stall and stall and stall and stall until you lose your timing. So, um, you know, just kind of keep going for it. Keep sprinting. Do you think, and, and I don't know the answer to this question, would it help um, not, would it help, again, mitigate the pirates not going to defeat them by not having such a long period to deliver? Because I remember when you and I talked, they were delivering straws. Right. Now they were crap. Right. And you still weren't delivering. So would that help if you were able to pull that? Yeah. Okay. So that is absolutely uh, way better than what I just said. Um, 
so we didn't have the funding to do that. We didn't have the money to do the tooling. Right. Um, if you can't afford it and you, you know that you are going to sell enough of the product to make it worth it, definitely get the tooling done um, so that you can manufacture quickly because that was our other issue. We didn't even have a finalized design. Like we had this kind of prototype and then what, what happens after a prototype is then you have to do, it's called design for manufacturing or DFM, which is a totally different animal because you're designing for injection molded tools um, and, and the structure is different and you, you have to change all these things so that you can mass produce a product efficiently. And these are all things you knew nothing about. Nothing. Yeah. Like everything you've ever learned, you learned once for the first time. Yeah. So that's entrepreneurs are just, we get that. We're not afraid. Like, oh, yeah. injection molding. Explain that to me. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> Let's take uh, at least one more. Hey, Emma. Um, I was wondering, uh, when first beginning to market your final straw product to potential investors, what did you find to be the most challenging aspect of it? <laughs> Um, well, the most fun aspect was memes, and that's like I built the following on in, on Final Straw Instagram on memes. Um, I think the challenging part was well, first of all, my my design skills. You know, I learned all my graphic design from University of YouTube, and <laughs> and so you know, having a vision but not being able to do it is really tough. Um, which is, you know, when down the line you actually can hire people, it's great because I'm like, I have this vision and they're like, I have these skills. And so it aligns much better. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't challenging at first because I didn't have expectations. And so everything was just kind of like fun and exciting. And like, it was this just journey onto seeing what works. Um, I'm a huge believer in testing. And so it was a lot of that, you know, I figured out how to do like AB testing on Facebook. So then I'm like, you know, looking at different graphical elements and how those perform differently versus different copy, you know, and then doing like diving deep into like Amazon reviews of reusable straws. What is the language that people are using? Like, what are the exact words? Because as as you market a company, you want to be relatable. And so you, you just want to use the words that people use. So it's like, okay, do I say collapsible or foldable? And like all of these things. And that's actually the only place where the knockoffs kind of benefited me is that I could like dive mm. into their reviews mm. and see like, okay, like what is really important? What do people really want? Like how important is this like cleaning device? How important is, you know, portability? And so that's where, you know, I was able to go into all of their Amazon reviews and just like, like make a huge Excel sheet into, and then which informed kind of a lot of the decisions I made in the future. Yeah. Have you seen that uh, the platforms are getting better at policing the knockoffs or is it still? Yeah, it's gotten so much better. Okay. We work directly with Amazon and, and Wish and, you know, all of the platforms, eBay, like impossible. Mm -hmm. They... It's, it's starting to change, and there was these old court cases back in the early 2000s that basically said that these platforms can just be a marketplace and people can sell whatever they want mm. on it. So those set the precedent, which made it really difficult for companies like mine to like enforce our patents. Um, but there are tools... That, that are out there to, you know, help. And there are, you know, we use like a, a site that, that monitors all the copyrights. They're using AI and, you know, searching all the photos on the internet, flagging mm. the ones that infringe, and then we can, you know, submit the takedown notices. Cease and desist and yeah. all that. Okay. I have 
two, really two more questions. Um, you're, you're in Santa Barbara, as we mentioned, but your team is decentralized. You're everywhere. And you have a fair number of employees now. Yeah. So I'd love to hear about what's worked, what hasn't worked, uh, running a decentralized team, the culture that you find is really a good fit, and any maybe tools, tips, tricks to, for other folks that are thinking, you know what, I don't want a big corporate office yeah. building where everybody clocks in. Yeah, so, you know, when I started the company, I, I travel a lot, um, and I didn't want an office. And, you know, part of me, like, kind of did because it's, like, fun to be able to see people and interact on a day-to-day basis. But the other part is, like, you know, I, if I don't have a meeting till 10, like, I don't want to have to I'm be with you. somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, I want to go surf or something. Right. So, um there's been so many challenges which are very similar to even having an office. Obviously, cross-team communication is huge. Um, we use platforms like Slack, Monday.com to organize tasks and then also like kind of create different groupings of people to communicate on different things. Um, in terms of culture, like this is where I just ended up hiring really great people that, you know, they're not working for me to make a million dollars. They're working on this project because they care and and this is something that's close to their hearts. So, you know, basically, you know, how do we take our fun company voice and insert it into our daily lives? So, you know, we have Slack channels for like Pet Squad where people are posting pet pictures and like wins where we're shouting people out, um, kind of random things like that. In terms of challenges, um, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to integrate other software and, and I'm pretty lax with things. I'm like, well, if you guys want to try like Trello, we can test it out and see how it works. And it's like, that doesn't work. You got to get everyone to buy in. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. Because if, if the whole team isn't in and using the software, even if just one person is like, then it's not going to work. So that's one thing I've, I've learned the hard way. And and that's where it's kind of like, okay, I got to put like my, my big boss pants on and, and just like say, this is what we're doing and, you know, get all of your stuff categorized in the software and move forward from there. Cool. Now the Peak Design CEO is telling me that he's actually recruited employees that were users of the product or fans of the product. Have you seen that as well? Oh yeah. All, I mean, pretty much everyone um, is, is a user of the product and and it's important for us because it has to be a cultural fit. If they don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, um, then they'll just be so lost. Um, and it doesn't mean that like everyone, like it's the opposite. It's not everyone we hire is like, you know, out there like picketing against plastic. Like people are interested in the topic and it's fascinating to them. And so then they want to learn more and do more. Um, we, we've used like the Skimbassador group to hire and just posting in there. Um, and if any of you get the skim, it's kind of like a daily highlights email. Um, and then you have to get 10 people to sign up to be mm-hmm. in the, the Facebook group. And so you kind of just get this like really interesting group of, of women that are like overachievers. They're interested in reading the news. They care about what's happening in the world. And, and that's been a really good pool for us to hire from. Um, beyond that, you know, we post jobs publicly and, and, you know, through our website and, and other platforms, and that's how we've been able to find our team. That's awesome. If anybody's watching this, this is a great corporate gift, by the way. I mean, no, seriously. It's like yeah. it, it shows, like, if a company says we're all about sustainability, well, it's easy to say that. But if you really want to show your employees that you're about sustainability, uh, check out Final Straw. 
So my last question, you mentioned the fork. I know you have other ideas. What does the company look like in five years? So let's say you hit you know, 80% of your goals. Nobody hits 100%. But you're, getting, you're, getting, you're moving in the right direction. What's your North Star for this company? Well, I want us to be the Tupperware of reusables. I want to create uh, normalcy around carrying items with you to reduce single-use plastic. Um, I see a future where Starbucks doesn't offer cups, mm. um, where all of these items are either um, you know, in, in a kind of like library checkout system or you know, something like that. Um, the way we are consuming right now doesn't work. It's not sustainable. We don't see it on a day-to-day basis because we have the trash infrastructure where people, you know, we put trash out and they take it away. Um, what we're becoming more aware of is there is no away. Um, so how do we fit into that? I think it's a product line, um, you know, of these items, the, the straw, the fork, the co-container. Um, and then beyond that, it's integrating reusables into larger systems like food delivery. Um, I'm also looking at subscription models. Um, you know, one thing that's really exciting for me is, is, you know, when I look into my trash and I just am like, this is a bin of opportunities. <laughs> and, and like, and I honestly recommend you guys all do that because it is shocking what you will find. And, and there's so many opportunities in there for items that you can reduce. Um, every single piece of plastic ever created still exists today and, and will be here, you know, for all of the future generations. So, um, I, I believe that we are going to be the generation that's going to step up and is going to fix it and is going to just change the way that things have been done. Well, I'm super impressed with you personally. I'm super psyched about what you've been able to do so far. And this is only the beginning for you. So I can't wait to talk to you in four or five years and see what you've done. Thank Thank you you. so much. Yeah, thanks, you guys. You have heard of Pay Junction, maybe when I just cornered you in the hallway out there. And how many of you work there or have worked there or maybe just got an offer from us? Cool. All right, awesome. So Pay Junction is a local financial technology company. We work in the payment processing industry, and we were founded by three UCSB graduates way back in 2000. Um, They're still super involved to this day, and they're big supporters of the TMP program. Um, And we love hiring gauchos. So I started off in a part-time sales recruiting role that is uh, perfect for college students. Um, And I now work there full-time along with a bunch of other people who started off in that role. If you're near graduation, we're also hiring full-time roles um, in sales and a bunch of other departments. So come talk to us after. We have cookies. We have candy. We have informational flyers. Go gauchos. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.